Greetings, my name is Stan Prager from the Regarp book blog, www.regarp.com. Today's podcast features my review of The War for the Common Soldier, How Men Thought, Fought, and Survived in Civil War Armies by Peter S. Carmichael. A few years ago, I had the honor of being selected for a key role on a team engaged in scanning, transcribing, and digitizing a trove of recently rediscovered letters, diaries, and narratives of the Massachusetts 31st Infantry, which turned up more than a century after these were compiled by the regimental historian but left unpublished. In a lifetime of studying the American Civil War, soldiers' letters were hardly new to me, of course, but I found myself surprisingly emotional as I became one of the very first in so many decades to get a glimpse at the sometimes hidden hearts of these long-dead souls. And there was something else. Rather than the random excerpt, often highlighted for its dramatic impact, that makes a familiar appearance on the pages of history books, these materials represent continuous strands of communication by nearly two dozen individuals, some of which stretched over a three-year period. The stories they tell run the gamut from the mundane to the comedic to the horrific, but collectively, the nature and personalities of the storytellers emerge to reveal authenticity in their experience, too frequently lost in grand narratives about the war. A careful read of a man's letters home over several years often unexpectedly exposed truths that are omitted or deliberately distorted by the correspondent. This overarching point is subtly but expertly made again and again in historian Peter S. Carmichael's magnificent work, The War for the Common Soldier, How Men Thought, Fought, and Survived in Civil War Armies, certainly one of the most significant recent contributions to the historiography. As primary sources, surviving letters from the front are critical and invaluable, but even more critical may be interpretation, which can be misled by taking these at face value, or plucking them out of context, or being seduced by the words of a man who wants his wife or mother, or especially himself, to believe that he is courageous or confident or committed to his cause, when only some or none of these may be true. In a dense but highly readable account that brings a surprisingly fresh perspective to a frequently overlooked aspect of Civil War studies, Carmichael defies often prevailing generalizations of soldiers North and South that tend to predominate in the literature, reminding the reader that a tendency to oversimplification distorts the reality on the ground. Something like a total of 2.75 million men fought on both sides in the Civil War. These were living, breathing human beings, not simply the statistical figures fed into databases to produce the broad generalities pervasive in many narratives. At the same time, he does not fail to locate and identify the commonalities in the rank and file that exist in multiple arenas, but his skillful approach to this end is guided by the nuance and complexity that is the mark of a great historian. Carmichael's well-written chronicle explores almost all aspects of a soldier's life in camp, on the march, and in battle, but that nuance is made most manifest in the chapter entitled Desertion and Military Justice. The accepted wisdom has long argued that bounty jumpers constituted the majority of those shot for desertion over the course of the war, and perhaps with some justification. But while the numbers underscore that there were plenty who likely fit that profile, Carmichael's research demonstrates that such a broad brush obscures a reality that saw men on both sides leaving the lines and returning, frequently more than once, and typically with little or no penalty. This was especially common among Confederates, who usually fled not out of cowardice or convenience, but rather to aid starving families back home desperate for survival. And there was, in many cases, a fine line between AWOL and desertion. It is surprising how often luck or simply the vagaries of enforcement separated men made to sit on their own coffins with eyes bandaged while the firing squad formed up from those docked a month's pay instead. 
It does seem that Lincoln's moral compass was more finely oriented to the circumstances of the soldier missing from his company, even if this found friction among the Union brass, than was the case on the other side. For the reality was that by percentage, far more men clad in gray were put to death than those in blue, and some of these were mass executions before the lines. What is clear is that on both sides, the common soldier, even the veteran accustomed to the gore and slaughter of battle, was deeply disturbed when compelled to witness the cold-blooded murder of a fellow soldier, even if he thought the man got his just deserts. A review such as this cannot possibly touch upon all the themes Carmichael surveys in this outstanding study, but I was especially drawn to the treatment of the phenomenon of malingering, which instantly found the familiar face in Corporal Joshua W. Hawks, one of my men from the 31st, who bragged in letters to his mother about his health while he served away from the cannon fire as part of the occupation army in New Orleans, even taking swipes at those pretending to be ill to avoid duty. Yet later, on the very eve of combat, he fell victim first to diarrhea and then to a bewildering set of ever-shifting complaints that kept him confined to a hospital bed for months until he was eventually discharged for disability. I read this man's letters in isolation, of course, but Carmichael's impressive research demonstrates not only that this soldier's manufactured symptoms put him in the company of thousands of other shirkers, but also underscores how difficult it was for doctors equipped with the primitive diagnostic tools of mid-19th century medicine to distinguish the truly afflicted from those talented at feigning illness to avoid combat or earn a discharge. As such, there were men who genuinely suffered sent back to come under enemy fire while others who were quite healthy succeeded in dodging the same. Some years after my project with the 31st, I was given access to a private collection of unpublished letters from George W. Gould, a Massachusetts private killed at the Bloody Battle of Cold Harbor in 1864. I transcribed his correspondence and created a website for public access to honor him, and I visit his grave in Paxton, Mass. several times a year. When I placed a flag on his grave to commemorate Memorial Day 2019, I found myself in somber reflection of not only the sacrifice of Private Gould, but also of the vast territory covered in the war for the common soldier. Because although his name appears nowhere in the narrative, this book is surely about George W. Gould and every man who marched alongside him, as well as every man he marched against in opposition with musket held high. Private George W. Gould and Corporal Joshua W. Hawks are just two of the millions who either gasped their last breaths on Civil War battlefields or drank beer at memorials in the decades that followed. If you want to understand that terrible war, you should indeed visit battlefields and explore the latest historiography, but you should also pause to read Carmichael's superlative work. The truth is that you will never comprehend the Civil War until you come to understand the Civil War soldier. Some books should be required reading. This is one of them. Note, the printed version of this podcast review also contains an addendum that expands on my own involvement in digitizing Civil War letters, as well as web links for those who are interested. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I encourage you to download and share it in your network. Many more reviews on an eclectic array of fiction and nonfiction books are available at www.regarp.com. Have a great day.